You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of NCBA's Beltway Beef. I'm Hunter Yearman. Today we're coming to you from NCBA's headquarters in Denver with a very special guest, NCBA CEO Colin Woodall. Colin, thanks so much for being here today. Great to be with you, Hunter. I'd like to start with your take on where we are in the year. We know it's a farm bill year, and we've also seen some budget debates going on in Congress. What are you seeing in terms of Congress enacting the cattle industry's policy priorities? You know, it has been a busy year. When you look back to where we were in January with the fight on the floor to try to get the speaker elected to a very successful legislative conference for NCBA and all of the other debates on Capitol Hill, uh, overall, we've had the opportunity to engage at every single level. And that's why NCBA is in Washington, D.C. Our job is to engage at every level, whether it's the White House, any of the administrative departments and agencies, Capitol Hill, even with our friends in the uh, foreign embassies and the work that we do on trade. All of those have presented some great opportunities for NCBA to engage here in 2023. And I think that will only continue to be so as we look at the second half of the year. Colin, I want to move on to some really exciting news. NCBA saw a great victory in the Supreme Court on waters of the U.S. Could you tell me a little bit more about this case and how NCBA was involved in securing such a positive ruling for our producers? As everybody knows, we've been working on WOTUS for going on almost 20 years now. It is an issue that has plagued us, whether it's been legislation we've had to fight on Capitol Hill, and of course, most recently, the Biden proposal on WOTUS. Uh, the fact that the Supreme Court came out in the Sackett case and ruled 9-0 to zero to support the Sacketts, saying that the land that they had filled was not a water of the United States, is truly a precedent that will help us as we continue to kill waters of the United States. Now, NCBA was a friend of the court in this particular case. So we were engaged, as we have been in other lawsuits that we have filed in fighting WOTUS, but this was the one that everybody was waiting for. We knew that the Sackett case would be our best chance in stopping the current Biden rule and getting it turned back. Now, there is still more work that has to be done. It's, it's not over by any means, but that precedent helps us be able to show quite clearly that this is an overreach that the EPA and the Corps of Engineers do not need to be able to tell a homeowner or a farmer or a rancher what they can do with their own private property. So we're excited about this. Again, NCBA was a part of that case through the friend of a court brief that we uh, submitted, and so we're very happy to be able to uh, talk about the success. Colin, I'd like to move on to the Farm Bill. Uh, Obviously, we're still waiting on Congress to craft the legislation, but NCBA has been busy working on a marker bill on animal health. That's the Foreign Animal Disease Prevention, Surveillance, and Rapid Response Act. Could you tell me a little bit more about what this marker bill means and why it's important for the Farm Bill process? Yeah, so when you look at a farm bill, you never know exactly how quickly it's going to get done. This current farm bill expires on September 30th, and I know that there is a lot of effort by both House and Senate agriculture leadership to try to get it done by then, but we have to be prepared regardless. And a lot of that times, it means that we need to set different market marker bills out there to make it very clear to Congress what our priorities are, and to let them know that ignoring those priorities or not addressing them is not acceptable. And so that's why we do marker bills like this, is to make sure that we can show the support that we have uh, on both sides of Capitol Hill, so that way when that farm bill process uh, gets gets truly uh, going and they put words on paper, uh, we can expect 
those provisions to be included, things such as the National Animal Health Laboratory Network and, of course, the foot and mouth disease vaccine bank that everybody is familiar with. All of this has to be done in order to help provide the tools to us as an industry to protect ourselves from foreign animal diseases, and more importantly, if we have an introduction or reintroduction of a foreign animal disease, that we have the tools to be able to fight back to protect ourselves and hopefully get our uh, industry up and running when that happens. Colin, in, additional, in addition to animal health, what are some of the other industry priorities for the Farm Bill? You know, we want to make sure that we maintain the voluntary conservation programs like EQIP. EQIP in particular has been a very popular program among cattle producers. We are also big supporters of the research dollars that are included in the Farm Bill, not only for USDA research through their Agricultural Research Service at places like uh, MARC, the Meat Animal Research Center in Clay Center, Nebraska, but also the work that is done through our land-grant university system that utilizes a lot of this USDA money. So research is extremely important. Research has helped us become better producers. And as you look at a lot of the challenges that we have, you look at things like foreign animal diseases, it's research that will help make sure that we are prepared and we can protect ourselves. And then something that is uh, new for us is being able to show how effective programs like the Risk Management Agency's Livestock Risk Protection are in providing true risk management for smaller producers. You know, as we saw during the pandemic, smaller producers needed to have a tool to manage risk, and they just didn't have an effective one. We believe LRP is that effective tool, and so the Farm Bill gives us an opportunity to advertise that and showcase the need to make sure that that program is supported and maintained and grows over time. Colin, let's shift to the western part of the U.S. for a moment. We've seen some controversial rules coming from the Bureau of Land Management, and the latest is their proposed Conservation and Landscape Health Rule. Can you tell me a little bit more about this and what NCBA is doing to push back? So we love talking about federal lands issues because it's such a big part of our industry, and it's a part that not every consumer really understands or appreciates. That's why NCBA has a federal lands committee to talk about a lot of these issues, and that's why NCBA is a member of the Public Lands Council because we know that we have to uh, fight for the right of producers to be able to graze on these federal lands. We also know that in many times it's bad ideas that uh, get tried out on federal lands ranchers first, and if they're successful, then they come after the rest of us. So that's why the fight to protect our access to federal lands is actually just absolutely a critical component of NCBA's work. This particular rule is talking about conservation, but the problem is they're talking about conservation in a way that would hurt our access to that land. Uh, we are the conservers of that land. We are the best stewards of that land. And when you look at what grazing has done to protect and improve federal lands, there is absolutely no debate on the value that we bring. But yet this is an ongoing fight, especially with agencies like the BLM who try to come up with things that you know might sound good. You know, conservation on its face sounds good and gets people's attention. But like everything in Washington, D.C., you need to look under the hood. You need to kick the tires and see what it's really made of. And in this case, this is not conservation to help the land. This is conservation in a way that would restrict our access. And that's why we're fighting back really hard. Colin, one of the issues that's been getting some attention recently in Congress is commodity checkoff programs, and specifically the beef checkoff. Could you tell me a little bit more about how the beef checkoff provides some benefit to the cattle industry? You know, what's interesting, Hunter, is I'm uh, starting my 20th year with this association. And as I look back on all the topics and issues that uh, I've worked on and have seen the industry work on, uh, the checkoff is, is always up there as one that 
not everybody really understands. So you have folks that don't like it because they don't understand it. They don't like it because they have a, uh, a, a mis, misunderstanding of, of just the way the process works. And so one of the challenges that NCBA has as a contractor to the checkoff is trying to make sure that that information gets out there on how the program works. You know, we are not the checkoff. And a lot of times people believe, well, NCBA, they're just a checkoff and they write themselves their own checks. That is not what happens. There is a process where members of the Federation of State Beef Councils and the Cattlemen's Beef Board, all cattle producers, get together. And we as NCBA have to go up along with other contractors and pitch our ideas. We have to pitch our ideas on what we want to do on things like beef, it's what's for dinner, what we want to do on research items. And if these producers decide that NCBA's project is good, then they will grant us the opportunity to do that work and at what level they wish to fund us. And we are one of nine contractors right now. And a lot of the work that we has we have done has uh, kind of been the hallmark of checkoff funded programs. You know, Beef It's What's For Dinner is one of the iconic American brands out there. NCBA has managed that. We have had the chance to evolve Beef It's What's For Dinner and all being done with those checkoff dollars. Research is an area where you look at product quality, you look at safety, you look at nutrition, and you look at sustainability. Checkoff funded projects have helped us make sure that the, uh, the, the accurate information about beef, whether it comes from uh, the, the nutrition angle, where it comes from the environmental impact angle, all of that is being adequately researched. It is being compiled and then put out to uh, not only other researchers, but also to the consumer. And that research has given us a leg up in correcting a lot of the uh, misinformation that's out there regarding beef, especially when it comes to nutrition. And then one of the things that we're really excited about right now, something we've been doing a couple of years, and that's engaging in e-commerce where we work with retailers to have banner ads or Beef It's What's For Dinner promotions on the website. And as such, we are selling more beef online than we ever have. And that is a great uh, illustration of how the checkoff is staying above the trends, ahead of the trends, so that we can capitalize on all the trends when it comes to the consumer engaging with our product, buying our product, and ultimately having a great beef eating experience. You know, we've seen detractors to the checkoff, including some animal rights activist groups, take aim at the checkoff and NCBA's role as a checkoff contractor. What is your response to them? You have to step back and look at what their motives are. Uh, they're not producers. They don't have a stake in this industry. So why do they care about the checkoff? They care about the checkoff and they're attacking the checkoff because of the checkoff's success. You think about these animal activist groups. Uh, it is very clear in their actions, their positions, their agenda, and the comments they make that they do not like us. They do not like cattle production. They do not like us taking our cattle and turning it into beef. They don't like people eating meat. So why would they spend any time working on the checkoff? It's because the checkoff has been successful in building demand for beef, which is completely counter to everything that they stand for. So that's why we are seeing them come after the checkoff is because they have uh, finally figured out that the best way to hit us is to get us one little piece at a time. That's why you saw animal activist groups that have supported things like the old gypsum rule. They've supported things like WOTUS because they know each one of those is going to make it harder for us to actually do the job that we do. And right now their target is the checkoff. They're hoping to include it 
in the Farm Bill, and they have a coalition of groups that are working on it. One of those groups happens to be the ASPCA. And most uh, everybody who's listened to this podcast has probably seen one of the commercials where they ask for $19 a month to help uh, local pet shelters. The fact is less than 3% of those dollars actually go towards those pet sh- shelters. The rest of that money goes towards their activist agenda, and that agenda is coming after us. And the OFF Act right now uh, is, is their, uh, one of their main targets. Colin, the last time we had you on the podcast, you were telling us about a meeting you were part of at the White House on food security. And since then, we've seen some legislation introduced, like the Food and Agriculture Industry Cybersecurity Support Act, uh, focusing on some food security and resiliency. What else is happening in the food and national security space? Yeah, so we have gotten quite a bit of attention from that meeting. The one area where I've been really pleased to see an increase in just engagement and conversation is with the Department of Homeland Security's Customs and Border Protection Division. Uh, That was something that uh, was a big part of the discussion we had in the White House. And for us to understand uh, all the work that they do at ports of entry, whether that is uh, shipping ports, whether those are airports, whatever it is, to, to know the work that they are doing and for them to understand that we appreciate the work that they're doing. Things such as the Beagle Brigade, where you see the Beagles in uh, airports across the country that have international uh, arrivals to be able to go in and sniff through this baggage, and they find uh, unbelievable amounts of uh, meats, fruits, vegetables, things that should not be coming in the country, they find, and they truly are that first line of defense in trying to protect us. So we have seen better engagement. We've had uh, Customs and Border Protection work with our team in Washington, D.C. They came and spoke to our legislative conference, and overall they have shown a willingness to work with us to do even more to try to protect us from those foreign animal diseases. So uh, we can say that that White House meeting definitely launched a conversation that has been very productive, but still more to do to make sure that people truly understand the impact that their actions have at whatever level of government on us as cattle producers. You know, Colin, we've covered a wide range of policy policy issues today, and that really demonstrates how involved NCBA really is on Capitol Hill. That being said, why should a cattle producer become an NCBA member? Cattle producers have a lot going on. Up early, home late, and the one thing that very few of them have time to do is to keep up with what's going on in Washington, D.C., to engage with their members of Congress and fight for themselves in these political uh, arenas. That's why NCBA is there. We are that voice. We are that fighter. We are in Washington, D.C. every single day. We don't just go in there when it's time to work an issue. Our team is there on Pennsylvania Avenue, just three blocks from the White House, every single day, working with the White House, working with these federal departments like USDA, FDA, EPA, uh, Department of Interior, working with Capitol Hill to ensure that The policy that was passed by the members of this association is getting implemented. And so our job is to be the voice of all NCBA members, to fight for their rights, and ultimately keep the government out of producers' business. And that's why every producer should be a member of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Colin, if you want to become an NCBA member, how do you go about doing that? 
It's real easy. All you have to do is go to our website, that's ncba.org, and you can find uh, quick links to, to sign up. And not only will you have an opportunity to engage in the process of setting the policy for this association, but you'll benefit from the work our Washington, D.C. team does, and we have quite a few other perks. Uh, if you're looking to buy a new tractor from New Holland or John Deere, a new piece of equipment for Caterpillar, if you need some discounts on gift cards to Cabela's, we have all sorts of incentives that also help pay for an NCBA membership. Well, Colin, thanks so much for the update today. Thank you, Hunter. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.